Hey everybody, welcome to the fourth episode of Hiker Trash Podcast. This is Dom Aprili, trail name footage. This episode is sponsored by Garage Grown Gear. Garage Grown Gear sells wildly cool gear from small and startup outdoor companies. If you are looking for some great gear from some incredible brands, head on over to garagegrowngear.com and use the code HIKERTRASH at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. If you guys have been following the podcast, you may have realized that the past few episodes have only been about northbound Appalachian Trail through hikers. So in an attempt to switch it up a little bit, I interviewed Nathan Bauman, trail named Puma, who even though he also is an Appalachian Trail through hiker, he also has logged 1,700 miles on the CDT and also completed a through hike of the Vermont Long Trail. And he also is planning to through hike the PCT this year. Puma's a very cool guy. He's an adventure photographer, a blogger, and a gear reviewer. It was also great to catch up with Puma considering that we had crossed paths along the way on our AT through hikes in 2016. So without further ado, here's what Puma had to say. Uh, what's up everyone? Uh, my name is Nathan Bauman or uh, they call me Puma on the trail. Um, yeah, so right now I've got roughly like 5,000 miles hiked. Uh, my first like long distance backpacking hike was uh, the Appalachian Trail in 2016. Um, after that, I took some time off and then went southbound on the Continental Divide Trail uh, this past year, 2017. Um, did about 17 mile, or 1,700 miles uh, on the CDT and then actually ended up traveling up to Vermont with a couple of buddies, and uh, we did a thru-hike of the Long Trail. Um, so yeah, that, that's basically where I'm at as far as thru-hikes go right now, and got some cool stuff planned for uh, 2018. Sweet. That's a longer intro than most people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's an ongoing thing, you know? I think it's, I don't know, I think it's important to kind of keep doing what you love, and, you know, kind of fell in love with it with the AT, so... Hopefully it gets longer. <laughs> All right, so let's start off with some general questions before we dig into the specifics of each of those trails. Um, how did you first get into hiking or backpacking? I mean, like hiking, like day hikes and stuff, that was that was pretty common for me as a, a child growing up, I guess. My, my dad's like an avid hunter and an avid fisher, and he's got some land in southern Ohio. And so, you know, day hikes was, was pretty common, but my first like actual backpacking trip was in 2014. Um, two of my really good friends, uh, trail names are Robo and Beehive. Uh, we grew up together and uh, spring break of 2014. Yeah. They, they had already done like a small section hike on the Appalachian trail up in Connecticut. And, uh, at the time I wasn't able to go. Uh, um, I was actually like in a relationship and kind of had my priorities all messed up and, I uh, ended up bailing on the first hike, but yeah, spring break of 2014, we were all in school and decided to take a week-long section hike to North Carolina, Tennessee border. So we we all went down there and ended up starting at Sam's Gap, um, which was essentially, I think, roughly 40 or 50 miles before Irwin. Um, and our plan was to hike to Overmountain Shelter and then get a hitch back, back to our car. Uh, we ended up doing like 55 miles in a week, which at the time we thought was insanely impressive. And uh, yeah, from there on out, I kind of just fell in love with the trail and 
met my first through hiker uh, on that on that section hike, which was pretty cool. Guy by the name of Chainsaw. He uh, he was through hiking and he he started on Valentine's Day and was in the North Carolina area right around like the middle of March. And uh, that's that's kind of like what spurred everything and got me interested in like the long distance aspect of it. Now, did you know about through hiking or like the through hiking culture prior to meeting that guy on the trail? Um, not no, not necessarily. I don't think. Um, like I knew I knew of the Appalachian Trail. Um, I had actually done like a small, small presentation on it um, in college, like the year before. So I had known about the Appalachian Trail and I had heard of through hikers. You know, I, I knew that there were a group of people who attempted to walk the length of the trail every year. But as for actually like meeting someone and having like a real firsthand experience with them, no, not, not even close. <laughs> that, was, that was the first encounter. Awesome. Yeah, I'm actually surprised because I think a few people that I've spoken to, that's kind of their first introduction to through hiking as well. Just being on the Appalachian Trail for a little section hike and bumping into someone who's through hiking. So it's kind of cool, like you just talk yeah. to someone and you figure out that there's this like crazy subculture of people that just walk many, many miles through the woods and through mountains. Yeah, yeah, totally. And for somebody of the age of, you know, 19 or 20 or even younger, for some people, I mean, I was pretty impressionable at the time. And this guy was like a, a seasoned veteran, man. He had He had been hiking through snow and rain and freezing temperatures and... You know, I, I get there at Overmountain Shelter and I've got a huge backpack at the time and I have no, literally no idea what I'm doing there. I have no idea how to set up my tent hardly. And, you know, this guy comes along and <clears throat> he's got like a, like an eight pound base weight and he's got like all his gear dialed in and he looks like he's been through hell and back and he just starts spouting off stuff about the trail. And, you know, at the time <laughs> we were both, like all three of us. Actually, there was another guy with us too, another friend I left out. I haven't seen him in a while, but uh, he was a friend of a friend. And we were all just kind of flabbergasted that like this guy had already walked like close to 400 miles or whatever. And yeah, it, it was crazy, man. It's, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's really an, a lasting impression when you meet a through hiker for the first time, I think. I think everybody has their own kind of significant story around that same, that same conversation. But yeah, it, it was pretty sweet. Yeah, I was really surprised and kind of uh <clears throat> kind of blown away that people did it and, and you know but it stuck and that that's kind of what that's kind of what spurred everything for sure yeah it's kind of funny that as time goes on and you get more acclimated and the more you hike you realize that you know the the miles aren't as much as they they had once seemed like you said you did 55 miles in a week and you thought it was a big feat and then you look <laughs> at this guy's like oh he's got 400 yeah. miles underneath his belt and now here you are like years later like totally crushing miles and uh, it's just funny <laughs> to look back on. Yeah, it is. It really is surprising. And it's yeah, it's hysterical, really, because at the time, you know, like I remember getting home from that week section hike and my entire outlook had shifted on life at that point. And I think that was that was true for everybody I was with. I think that was like a really big turning point for us and myself included. And yeah, it's it's crazy. Fifty five miles at one point was you know, a massive amount of distance. And I felt like I, I felt like I had, you know, walked way longer than that. Like the miles, the miles had accumulated more and I felt like I had covered more distance. Um, but in that short week, it, yeah, it's, it's crazy what you learn and what you, what you come to love. And yeah, it, it's, it's wild, man. That's for sure. You said your outlook changed a little bit from even that section hike. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, I don't know for that, that week, 
you know, you, and I think this might, might be the case with a lot of people, at least I hope it is. Um, but when I, when I stepped foot on the AT for the first time, like I was kind of wrapped up in like a job that I wasn't really enjoying. And I think my, you know, my really like deep desires for life were kind of skewed based on the people I was around and what I had come to learn through, you know, school and experiences back home. But when I stepped foot on the AT for the first time, like I remember that first day, not a thought crossed my mind in relevance to anything happening back home. And as that week wore on and as we, you know, we did miles and as I, I slept in new places every night, I think I kind of, I don't know, I think I kind of really just like was aware that there was a whole nother world out there and, and that life didn't have to be completely revolved around not only a job and money and, you know, home life and stuff like that, but also like the ability for something so simple as walking to relieve so much pressure from the outside world. Um, I think that, yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of what stuck with me. And by, by the end of that week, I was, I was enamored with the thought of living a lifestyle kind of free of pressure from society and, and whatnot. I don't know. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to think about, but like, I think that week really put me on, on track to learn more about myself and kind of take, take the simple things and, you know, and try to try to enjoy everything for what it is and not make such a big, big deal out of everything. If that makes sense. I totally agree. And I think that a lot of other people that choose hiking as a recreation, um, kind of feel the same way. And I guess the, the large theme is simplicity and how simple it is and just how beneficial it is. I mean, think about it. You are just walking, but you're adding that extra element of like exercise and, you know, you're bettering yourself physically and mentally. And it's also a form of meditation. I feel like that you're just kind of walking and, you know, you it's so it's simple. Your, your mind can wander and, but you can multitask and you're just putting one foot in front of the other breathing and it's fun and you're outside and you have that, you have that fresh air and amazing views. It kind of just makes you very present. Yeah, most definitely. And, and I, I think that's really what the big shift for me was. I think con- I, I was really consistently worried about the future, especially those first couple of years after high school, because thinking back on it, you know, 2014, that was four years ago almost. So I was I was only like 20 years old. And, you know, before that, like I had just got out of, gotten out of high school and you know, my parents and the family and friends, everybody's doing like university and doing all these things to, to benefit them for their future. But when I got on the AT for the first time, yeah, I think you're right. I felt like I was finally like aware enough to realize that, you know, the present is what, what is now and not, you know, I don't know, not as in, it's, I don't think it's as important as people think to worry about the future nearly as much as some people do. And, uh, yeah, I think, I don't know, I think that, that short stint on the trail really kind of helped shape my future, and yeah, I realized that, you know, the moment is now, and, you know, you might not, you know, you roll the dice every day, I think, and that's that's kind of like the big uh, the big thing for me, is you never know what's going to happen, so yeah, it's pretty crazy. Now, can you walk me through the evolution of how that section hike influenced you to later Direct the AT. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was my first section hike, uh, 2014 in March. Uh, we did like 55 miles in North Carolina, Tennessee border. Um, 
And then it would have been later that year, um, my dad and I actually, who, like I said, I think we talked a little bit. My, my dad's like pretty outdoorsy. Um, he's always like been an active fisher and hunter and hiker and whatnot. So we, we were planning to do a small, uh, a small section. We were kind of up in the air about which area we wanted to go to. Um, but we, we both wanted to see the Northeast. So we decided to go up to Massachusetts in July. So I had used like the two weeks of vacation time that I had for my job and scheduled everything off. And, you know, my dad and I, we, we bought all the gear we needed. I, I had kind of lightened my load a little bit and my dad purchased all his stuff and we went on a little red trip first and, you know, coming from Ohio, it's like a 10 hour drive up to Massachusetts roughly. So we went through a couple cities and then got up there and started uh, a section hike of Massachusetts. So we were we were planning originally to do the entire state from North Adams to uh, the Vermont border. And like 30 miles in, my my dad's hips started going. So he, he decided to actually get off the trail for the time being. Um, so a good buddy of mine now, uh, his trail name's Neon. He was through hiking at the time. And... Uh, his parents actually came and picked my dad up, took him back to his car, and uh, I got to keep hiking, which was pretty sweet. So in, in that in that week, I think uh, I ended up doing like 105 miles or so and um, hiked the whole state of Massachusetts uh, from the border to Vermont and uh, actually became really, really close friends with two people, uh, Neon and Happy Feet, and we as like my first like real taste of the thru-hiker world which was pretty sweet. You know, I, I had met that one through hiker on my first section hike. And then this time, you know, I was, I was in the bubble. So it was, it was pretty cool to be around everyone and kind of experience the culture firsthand. Um, I think there's like a big difference between like meeting a through hiker and then like really experiencing like how the, the name transcends into the lifestyle. So yeah, ended up, uh, ended up getting off trail at the border and, uh, yeah, that was, that was the second section hike. Um, third section hike was like an 85 mile section in March of 2015. Um, me and a good buddy beehive who was also there on my first section hike, we ended up doing like 90 miles from, uh, Parisburg, Virginia to Daleville, Virginia. So we did like the McAfee knob section, which was pretty sweet. Um, ended up staying at the four pines hostel for the first time on that section hike, which is pretty sweet. So any AT hikers, you guys will know that the uh, Four Pines Hostel is one of the best. Um, but yeah, that, that's really what set me up to through hike. Three section hikes, um, anywhere from like 50 to 110 miles or whatever. And, you know, and, and that, yeah. So after that, after really after my first section hike is when I started planning a through hike. I knew I wanted to do it, um, but I definitely wanted to gain a little bit more experience before I went out for the whole six months and I needed a little bit of time to save some cash up. So yeah, three section hikes over two years and then, then a through hike in uh, 16. Awesome. What are you doing right now for a living? For a living uh, right now I'm doing photography stuff. So um, when I started my through hike, um, I knew, you know, I wanted to, to delve into photography on trail and I had a little bit of photography experience, but nothing crazy. Um, so, you know, AT 16 started taking photos and it just kind of has blossomed into a business of some sort at this point. 
Um, so I'm not working currently for anyone. Um, but here in Ohio, I split my time between Columbus and Canton, Ohio. And that's where I grew up is Canton. So I do most of my photography work back home. And that ranges anything from uh, like real estate photography to portraits of families or engagements or senior photos. And then I do, um, I do a little bit of uh, print sales online on my website, which is pretty cool. So I just, you know, edit photos, upload them to the website, and then sometimes people purchase them, which is really cool. Um, yeah, and I have a couple other, like, little side incomes. Like, I do gear reviews. So you get, like, Amazon affiliate links and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so that's, that's really what I'm doing right now as far as, you know, making a wage, basically, just to save for the next typo. So. <laughs> well, how did you get into doing the gear reviews? Um, honestly, man, that was, that was just something that, like, I felt – like I had enough insight to do, um, you know, after, after last year, especially on the CDT, you know, I put, I put a lot of pieces of gear through the ringer and a lot of those pieces of gear, are the same pieces of gear that people are constantly asking about. And, uh, and I blogged on the CDT and on the AT a little bit, but so yeah, I figured I'd might as well kind of, you know, form my writing a little bit more geared towards reviews and maybe, you know, pieces of articles that have some insight towards ways to do certain things. Um, but yeah, man, just kind of, you know, mix my writing into something that can be, you know, tangible for someone else, I guess. Gotcha. I read your uh, gear review. I guess there's like a, a puffy jacket comparison and it made me want to buy like yeah. a Mont Bell after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, they're, they're, I think, I think that jacket's great, honestly. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's like a, a pretty valid topic, especially for you know the range of different trails we have here in the United States you have anything from like the humid east coast trails to the arid dry desert so I think yeah I think that was a pretty useful piece so hopefully hopefully somebody got use out of it and now all those gear reviews and blogs they, do they live at one place you have a website you said yeah yeah so I um, do most of my blogging gear reviews and you know trip reports and stuff like that on my website um, and it's pretty easy. It's just my name, Nathan a bombing.com. Cool. I'll link that in show notes so everyone can get to that. Um, definitely check it out. Cause yeah, I've, I've read your blogs and stuff and, and they're awesome. And then I'm sure that you have your photography in there, which is also amazing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You can check out like the galleries for all the different trails and yeah, you can uh, check out the blog or, or whatever. Yeah, man. There's there's a lot of good stuff on there, or at least I think so. <laughs> cool. And I'll definitely endorse your Instagram too because um, I love looking at those photos to the point where I think it's actually dangerous to follow you just because I, I want to get out as soon as I see like a nice photo of the mountains. I'm just like, what am I yeah, doing working? Right. What am For I sure. doing? Why am I not out there? <laughs> yeah, honestly. Man, those are the same thoughts I have when I'm posting them. <laughs> I'm just like, man, why, why am I not out there right now? <laughs> so, so you touched briefly upon it, saying that you kind of started off your photography interest on the AT. Um, was there anything prior to that that really got you into photography? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I took like a, a like a small photography class back in high school. Um, at the time, like I knew I wanted to do it, but I didn't know if the investment was something that. I would actually get use out of. Um, and I think like at the time I was probably like 15 or 16 when I like first expressed interest in it. And like my mom at the time, she was just like, Oh, you don't need a nice expensive camera. Like you're probably not going to end up sticking with it. 
And um, I don't think she said it like that, but something along those, those lines. And that's kind of how it how it felt in my mind is she was just like, oh, you're not going to want to do it forever. So why, why buy a nice camera? But I had purchased like a small point and shoot camera. I took a photography class in high school and then kind of just like went with like the, the phone photography for a little bit. Um, like when, when social media kind of got in, introduced back in, I don't know, I think I got my, my Instagram like 2012 or 2013. It, was, it wasn't what it is now by any means. But at the time, the, the camera phones were starting to get pretty good. So like I was just taking photos on my phone and kind of always just dreaming about having a nice camera. And then when I uh, decided to through hike, um, yeah, I purchased my first camera first real camera, like two weeks before I left for the AT and then purchased like a wide angle lens. And then I, I didn't really know anything about editing or settings. I kind of just, kind of just, uh, went with it and figured it out on trail. And, uh, yeah, that, that was kind of the start of it, I think. And then the AT kind of just like, you know, let me grow into the photographer I am now, especially when you have a camera in your hand for, I don't know, six or eight hours a day, you kind of, kind of learn the ins and outs of it pretty quickly. Whereas back home, I was only able to, you know, maybe a lot one to two hours a day for photography. So yeah, that, that's kind of how that all started. Got my first camera like two weeks before the AT. Yeah, I kind of did a sim. I kind of did a similar thing where I bought like my first like expensive camera that I invested in prior to the trail. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you could probably relate um, that I was just like, I think the coolest job would be to be an adventure photographer and a, or uh, adventure documentary filmmaker or something like that. And it, it's really hard, I guess, to break into the industry. Like, I guess the quote unquote, the right way, going to school, interning, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I, I just had the epiphany, like, why don't I just go on adventures and take pictures? And then I am that I am what I want to be. I might not be getting paid, but I have something to show for myself. Uh, I think a lot of the times people kind of wait, like they're like, oh, I want to do that and I can do that. Why isn't someone paying me or asking me to do that? And I think it's important to, to show that initiative that you actually care enough to pursue that as a career or as a hobby um, and just kind of self-motivate yourself to get out there and adventure and then document it. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, like I remember when I was a kid, like I, I was always watching like National Geographic and History Channel and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I just remember like you, you seeing like those crazy documentaries about certain mountain ranges or, you know, like the Rockies or, or the, the Andes or the Alps. And you just like, I, I remember wondering like, oh my gosh, like how do these people have time to do this? Like how do, how do they do that? And then, you know, I think, I think if you want something bad enough, like you're just going to make it happen. Or at least, you know, you should. That's what everybody should do is pursue something they love. And and I think, yeah, when I when I finally got that camera in my hand, like I was already planning the adventure. Like you said, you know, first and foremost, go on an adventure. Second off, you know, go ahead and document it if you want. And that was kind of like the step that I took it was, you know, I planned the adventure, got everything in order and then, you know, made the decision to to document it as best as I could and in the way that I felt appropriate. And yeah, like I said, it's just kind of blossomed from there. And at this point, like I, I can, yeah, I consider myself a photographer and an adventure photographer, regardless of how much I make from it, you know? So I think, and I think you can't really measure what you are based on, you know, anything monetary related. So I think that, I think that's the most important thing is people are so hesitant to, 
you know, label themselves as something, even if they are that, if they're not getting compensated for their work. So, yeah, I think that's a, a good way to look at it. Right. Whoever thinks success is measured by monetary gain is surely mistaken. And I'm sure anyone that through hikes will attest to that. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. It's it's not about the money. And if it is, hopefully you're doing something with it at least. Right. <laughs> success is doing what you love every day. Yeah, yeah. And you're, I think you're the only one that can measure if you're successful or not. You should never be held to a standard by someone else. So I think, yeah, I think, you know, if you want to be something and you feel like you have the ability to do it, you know, do it. So, uh, and, I, and I think that applies to everything. You know, there's, there's a lot of talk about that in the hiker community right now, you know, about what, what classifies a through hiker. And I think it applies to the same, kind of the same rule of thumb there is that you are, you know, what you want to be. So, I don't know. I and mean, that's pretty a good way to look at it, man, for sure. Yeah, 100%. I mean, hike your own hike. I mean, we can talk about that. How are, are you? Do you consider yourself a purist? Um, I don't know, man. No, not necessarily. No, I think like I think it's a really subjective, um, really subjective conversation because unlike the Appalachian Trail, you know, it, it is one continuous footpath. And there's no arguing the fact that if you, you know, take a side trail and skip five miles, there's no arguing that you skipped five miles, whether, whether that classifies you as a, you know, a lasher or a through hiker is, I think that's up to you. I'm not going to judge somebody for, for skipping miles, but, um, you know, on the AT, I, I, I took the, the trail the whole way and, I didn't, I didn't like blue blaze and I didn't aqua blaze and I didn't slack pack, you know, at all. And I didn't take rides, you know, down the trail to catch up with friends or anything like that. But so I guess like on the AT, like I, I did a purist hike. Um, but would I, would I consider myself a purist? Probably not because, you know, especially after this past year, man, 2017, like the continental divide trail <laughs> really puts things into perspective for you. And I didn't do the whole trail. I only did like, like 1,700 miles. So I, I don't consider myself a through hiker on that by any by any shape or form. But what it did teach me was that there is no right or wrong way to do anything. And there's not just one one path to the destination, regardless if they're supposed to be. So I think, I don't know, man. Yeah, that's like, that's really subjective, you know, because like for a purist hike on the AT, not skipping miles, you know, I did that. But I did it because I wanted to, you know, I, I held my myself to my, my own standards. So I think that's, I don't know, I think it's subjective and it's definitely based on like the own, per, you know, the own person's thoughts on it. So it's kind of, it's kind of weird. It's kind of a weird conversation because some people are really diehard purists and like to talk about it and are very open to, um, I guess, open to that mindset. But um, also, you know, I've met tons of people who had only hiked like 1200 miles of the AT, but they called themselves a through hiker or something along those lines. And I don't know if that's right either though, you know? Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a big, that's a big difference. Uh, being like a half the trail shy. Um, but I mean, I think you, you just kind of had the conversation right there and, uh, you said that perfectly. And I would agree with everything that you said. <laughs> it is totally subjective and it's only important if, if you deem it important. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, we're all living different lives. So we all go through different things on the trail. And I mean, 
I would say as long as you hike, I don't even want to put a number on it, but yeah, um, yeah, but as long, yeah, as long as you felt like you hiked the whole trail or whatever, um, that's all that matters. And again, it's like we said earlier, it's, it's how you measure it yourself. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing I feel like, um, a lot of people have, I don't know. I think that's like a lot of the talk right now on the hiker community is, is all subjective. So it's like really, it's a really opinionated conversation. So I, I just leave it up to the person, you know, like I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not, I don't think I'll ever bash anyone for claiming a through hike. Um, because you know, I can't, I can't judge anyone, but also the, I think mean, there is like definitely a number. I'm not going to put a number yeah. on it. You know what I mean? I, th- this is how I said at the end of the day, life happens no, no matter what. So if you're on a through hike, like something can happen, you can get injured, you can get hurt. Uh, something can go on with family. Um, and you might have to like put down your hike or I don't know. There are like exceptional circumstances that I would say that are, yeah, that's like, that's just life happening. And, and, and it's very hard for people to carve out that time to hike these trails, um, to begin with. So when they, when another obstacle is thrown towards them and they have to kind of, cope on the fly with that and um just go with it i i think it's commendable if if you keep going um yeah but at the same time basically if if you skip any miles um by choice for laziness for whatever reason like then i would say you're disqualified but um (laughs) you know barring any for sure anything else where it's just like circumstances that kind of hinder your hike and you have to go on or whatever. Um, I would say those are acceptable, but if it's just out of pure laziness or trying to catch up with people or anything like that, um, and you're still claiming through hiker, I would say I might have a problem with that. But again, it's, uh, it all depends on the situation and it, it also doesn't matter what either of us think as long as, you know, you're happy about what you did on whatever trail. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Everybody's going to have differing opinions at some point, but yeah. And and I I just think, like you said, man, it just, uh, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, but I think there is definitely like a line and, you know, I think, you know, people know the line there's, there's, people know what, what number (laughs) really is a through hike and people, I think people know the answer to all these questions, you know what I mean? But it's, it's subjective and, you know, I'm never going to bash anyone for, for doing an awesome hike on a trail that they love and then getting off for for whatever reason. But there are people that do that and you know, they'll do what they want to do, but yeah, go out and hike and don't care about distance. Just go on a hike. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's weird that there is like this kind of like hating going on in the community because uh, when I was hiking the AT, I had no prior hiking experience and I get out there and you bump into so many section hikers, uh, day hikers, whatever. And I, I just like instantly, I'm just impressed and have respect for these people because they made it out there. Like I lived my whole life without like deliberately going into the, to the woods and going on these hikes. And I think if you're making the time to do that, even if it's for, if it's on a weekend, I I think it might even be more commendable. Or if you're taking off time from work just to get out there for a short period of time, that just goes to show like that you care that much that a few days is important to you. So yeah yeah within the community like i'm sure that some uh section hikers and and day hikers in some ways could be more badass than a through hiker but uh it's all it's all subjective and and if you're getting out there and you're living the lifestyle that you want to live that's all that really matters 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I honestly like in some way like I could I could say that that my first section hike of 55 miles on the AT was more of a learning experience and more of a you know profound week for me than my whole AT experience was. So you know, yeah, you can a week on the AT or three days on the AT you can do just as much for someone as a as six months can do for another person. So yeah, it's all subjective and, you know, whatever floats your boat, if you want to section hike, section hike, if you want to through hike, do a through hike. So, you know, just get to, like, like we said, man, just go out and hike. And I think that's the most important thing is that people want to do that. And people feel that there's something to gain from the trail in some way, shape or form. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with that. Let's try to zero in on your hikes as of, I guess recently they're all pretty recent, right? Um, so you, so you through hike the AT, you put in seventeen hundred miles. You said on the CDT. Yeah, yeah. I started um, July seventh and got off the trail. I believe September twenty seventh. Um, so like seventeen hundred miles in two and a half months or whatever, and two yeah two and a half months, a little over, and then yeah went up to Vermont after that and then through hike the Long Trail, which was sweet. And now I'm planning for 2018. All right. Now, can you uh, tell me about the differences, I guess, between these three trails? Um, we'll start with terrain. Can Yeah. Can you mm-hmm. compare the terrain differences? Yeah. Yeah. So terrain, if, if anyone's ever hiked on the AT that's listening, you guys know it's kind of, um, I don't know, kind of mixed. You know, in the southern states, you get a lot of really nicely maintained trail, some roots and rocks here and you know, a lot of up and down, short, short, steep gains with short, steep descents. And then once in a while, you'll have those kind of longer, gradual climbs. Um, so, yeah, the AT is kind of like a good warm up and good, good introduction to the types of terrain you're going to encounter on other trails. Um, I think as a whole, the AT is fairly difficult, um, especially the northern states. I think starting in like Massachusetts. Vermont, New Hampshire, and then Maine. I think it's all difficult. Um, CDT was interesting. Um, I don't know. CDT is weird because you have like you have so many different types of terrain on on that trail, and or I should say on that route because it's really not a trail. Um, you know, in Glacier, you have like these massive features with like these ten thousand foot mountains and these giant passes and these snow capped peaks and these massive glaciers and but the actual trail in glacier at least on the chief mountain alternate which is the one i took um there's a lot of bushwhacking so the trails really weren't that well maintained um in glacier on the section that i was on so like i I can recount tons of bushwhacking through bear grass within the first like 80 miles of the cdt um but obviously like glacier is pretty well maintained it's a national park but um, and then you get into like the Jeep track. So the CDT has an, an insurmountable amount of Jeep roads that you follow that, that kind of intertwine with the trail network. So, I mean, you'll, you'll be hiking on like the official national scenic trail for a five miles and then you'll split off onto a Jeep road and then that'll take you across like a plateau for five miles and then you'll split onto the Lewis and Clark trail in Montana and then you know, and, and then in the Bob Marshall wilderness, you get some of the craziest terrain with blowdowns and 
poorly marked trails everywhere. And, and then Wyoming brings crazy 13,000 foot peaks with tons of granite, zero trail and just like class three and four scrambling. Uh, I mean, Wyoming in itself has like four different environments and landscapes that you walk through. You have like the high, the high desert in the great basin, uh, you have the super, super well-maintained low route in the winds. And then you have the high route, uh, which is just alpine environment basically the whole time. Um, yeah, yeah CDT is crazy. There's, there's pretty much everything on the CDT. But as far as terrain goes, it's pretty easy. Most of the, uh, most of the climbs are fairly gradual. And um, I wouldn't even say switchbacked, but they're just gradual. They're not nearly as steep um, than the AT. Um, but there are some days, there were some days on the CDT that were, uh, unbelievably difficult really. Um, but the long trail, uh, that trail is a whole different ball game. I think that trail is probably made up of some of the most difficult terrain that I've ever seen. It's, it's pretty much Southern Maine on the Appalachian trail times, times five for the, the entire time, basically, which is ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I mean, terrains are completely different. The CDT is really arid, um, really dry climate, uh, with, with much different terrain. You get a lot of sand and a lot of desert, um, not nearly as, as much of a green tunnel, quote unquote. Um, the AT, you know, is pretty, pretty sweet. It's pretty, pretty usual. I guess it's more of a woods, woodsy terrain. And then the long trail is just, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a whole nother animal. (laughs) I guess I'm surprised, but also not surprised about how the long trail is difficult. I guess I guess yeah. I didn't <laughs> think about it just because I mean I just figured oh okay it's shorter than the AT. I mean that's what I thought when I passed by it during the hike and when we were on it for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean if you're comparing it to Southern Maine, damn. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's no, it's um, it's it's really difficult. Uh, so I mean, to put it into perspective, so on the CDT, um, especially the way I went about it, I was kind of pressed for miles the entire time. I started in kind of like early to mid June, July seventh, and at that point, I mean, to get to Colorado in time before the snow were to come on a given any given year on an average year. You kind of have to get there before the end of uh, end of September, early October to beat the snow. So you're doing like anywhere from 20 to 30 miles pretty much every day. And so I, I was doing a, I was doing a lot of miles on the CDT, man. I, I came into the long trail averaging like 25 miles a day and feeling really good about it. You know, not really having any pains, aches or anything. It, it was pretty easy to keep those miles because the terrain is so forgiving compared to the, uh, the AT and the long trail. But when we, we got to the long trail, so Wankles who you did, uh, the, I think episode three with, if I'm not mistaken, um, and scooter, uh, his name's Scotty Hayden on Instagram, really good dudes met both of them on the AT and, uh, we, we were planning this long trail hike. So we, we line everything up. I get off the CDT for some reasons we'll probably talk about. Um, and then, yeah, man, we, we get to the start of the, the long trail and the first like 13 miles, uh, absolutely destroyed me. We, we were going southbound. So we started at the Canada border and 
<laughs> honestly, within the first like four miles, uh, I think Scotty or Scooter and I both kind of just looked at each other and was like, I, I don't know if we're uh, we're ready for this. You know, we were both doing pretty big miles the whole summer, and then we were expecting easily to do twenty five mile days, and uh, we we were we were severely wrong. <laughs> wow, that's crazy to think that you're averaging 25 miles on the CDT and that doesn't translate well to the long trail. No, not at all, man. I mean, I guess for, for, I actually have some notes on my phone from that trail that I'm going to pull up. Um, I'll give you kind of a little bit of insight to like our mile, mile per days, um, miles per day and some of like the, the stats behind it. Yeah. So like our, our first day on the long trail, we did 13 miles and it had just under 5,000 feet of elevation gain and just under 4,000 feet of elevation drop. Um, so, I mean, almost 9,000 foot of elevation change in 13, or in 13 miles. And I mean, that was, that was more than realistically like a day and a half on the CDT. And that that's like a 40 mile stretch on the CDT. Wow. And, and uh, yeah, yeah. And that was just day one. I mean, we had days, I think our biggest mile day was like, a 22 mile day on the long trail. And, uh, we were, we were pumping out miles on the CDT and then lo and behold, man, it, it did not translate well to the long trail at all. <laughs> out of the three trails, which one did you like the best scenery wise? Scenery wise? Uh, I mean, Ooh, um, it's kind of hard, uh, because they each have their own hidden gems. Um, I think, mile per mile probably the cdt um there's a lot of kind of boring mind-numbing road walking and jeep road walking on the cdt but when you get the big views um which is which is often uh they're, they're pretty pretty unbelievable and pretty pretty expansive compared to the at but um I mean, you know, it's hard to argue with the whites and it's hard to argue with Maine and Vermont. So, I mean, I think they, they each have their own pieces that I really loved. But if I were to have to pick one, it would be the CDT for sure. And what was the best view that you witnessed on the CDT in those 1,700 miles? Um, so from Canada to Winter Park, Colorado, which is where I got off trail, um, and hands down the Wind River Range, Um and I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about the winds in the past. And as we were approaching the winds uh, on the CDT this year or this past year, you know, I was hearing a lot of talk from a lot of PCT hikers who were comparing them to the Sierras. And there was a lot of talk of, about the winds being better than the Sierras, which was kind of mind boggling in my own head. Uh, but when we got, yeah, when we, we got there, man, when he finally entered the winds um, for like the next hundred miles of trail, there was a, a view that brought me to tears multiple times around the corner, pretty much every day. Uh, but the bet, the hands down, my favorite view was probably Knapsack Coal uh, on the Wind River High Route. Um, it's like, pro it's, it's the most insane place I've ever been, and you get to basically scramble off of this twelve thousand foot pass down onto a glacier. And then into this place called the Titicombe Basin. And it's, uh, oh man, it's just one of the most beautiful places. And there's just, there's really nothing like it that I've seen. And I guess when, when, it, when a place brings like multiple grown men to their, 
to tears. Uh, I think that it's a pretty good indication that it's a beautiful place. Um, but yeah, the Wind River Range, probably knapsack hole for sure. Wow. It, it for real brought you to tears when you were looking at it? Oh, yeah, man. Um, multiple times. I mean, the winds in general, um, when we first entered the winds for a southbound hiker, you get to this place called Green River Lakes. And uh, it's like the beautiful, infamous Green River. And it runs through this little meadow and eventually snakes right by this place called Square Top Mountain. And uh, it's it's really reminiscent of like Half Dome or Devil's Tower. Um, so it's like a really prominent feature in the winds. And when we this was like our first day in the winds. And when we got there, we actually ended up camping right, right under the, the actual mountain itself. And I, I watched two of the guys I was hiking with who have thousands of miles beneath their feet and who have hiked the PCT like three times. But yeah, I watched, I watched both of them cry. And then when I, when I got to the top of Knapsack Hole, yeah, there were, there were tears in my eyes as I watched the sunset. Most definitely. <laughs> That's amazing. I, f- I feel like I'm like yeah. sorely missing out on something majestic at this point. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that place is honestly, uh, it's so inaccessible it's kind of similar to the Sierras where there's only a few trailheads to enter into. So it's a really remote place. And, and I don't think a lot of people know about the winds because it's kind of overshadowed by the Grand Teton National Park, which is like right down the road from it. Um, but basically, any local that I talked to in Wyoming was, was essentially just telling every, every through hiker that they uh, they send all the tourists to Grand, Grand Teton National Park so they can keep the wins for themselves basically but it's yeah it's a majestic place i think everybody should go and it's uh there, there, yeah there's nothing like it and there's there's the wind river high route which is also another route you can hike in the winds which would be pretty cool awesome i'm adding it to the bucket list as we speak yeah it's, it's on mine too <laughs> <laughs> for sure can you give us some insight on um, your opinion of hiking in different seasons because you kind of you hiked the long trail a little bit later on in the seasons, right? Like in the fall, if I'm not mistaken, or? Yeah. Yep. So we, um, we, I got to, the, we got to the start of the long trail on October 2nd. So we hiked from October 2nd until October 22nd. So it was like a 20 day hike essentially through peak season in the fall. And, uh, on the CDT, I actually ended up hiking into winter, which was kind of what I wanted to avoid. Um, but Colorado had different plans, obviously. And, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know, hiking through the seasons is really, really interesting actually, especially when you get to do it in real time. Um, like on the CDT, I started in July, but there was still snow in glacier, not, not much snow, but and it was warm. So it wasn't really hiking in winter or the melt or anything like that, but you got some snow conditions in the beginning and then, uh, it, it warmed up a lot out West this year. It was, it was definitely in the upper 90s at some point in Montana and on the Idaho border. And, you know, as as we went south, we kind of – we ended up taking our time a little bit more through Wyoming than we expected, and uh, which ended up leaving us in Colorado a little bit later than we wanted. But watching the, watching the, the season's transition on the CDT was pretty wild because we, we really went from – this year at least, this past year at least, we went from – like 75, 80 degree weather in at the tail end of Wyoming to our last day in Wyoming being like hiking through probably six inches of snow and 
eventually then getting into uh, Colorado, it, w- it was freezing. You know, we, we had a really short transitional period this year. Um, so that, that was kind of, kind of interesting to watch because I was expecting a much longer transition, but I think it's, I think it's beautiful, man. You get to, you get to watch not only the landscape change around you, but also the people you're hiking with. And I think, I think that goes to show that like everybody's really, um, impressionable based on their environments, you know, and that for me too, I, I changed with the seasons this year. So I think it was, it was pretty crazy to watch the environment change, the people change and, and really everything change about life you know that was it was pretty cool it was it was a whole year of hiking almost for me so it was like seven months six months of hiking which was pretty sweet so i got to see a lot for sure so if you could choose what's your ideal hiking climate oh man uh probably probably like 60 to 70 degrees in ideally colorado's climate or some arid dry climate I've, I've actually never got to hike in the desert so i can't answer that question fully yet um but as of right now if i could have like as low as humidity as possible with 60 degrees 65 degrees i'd be pretty stoked yeah that sounds pretty comfortable yeah yeah it was man i think uh <laughs> i think i probably wore a rain jacket i don't know five times on the cdt this year and I maybe broke a sweat, like a real, like a real sweat, maybe five times on the CDT because of how how humidless it was. There's no moisture in the air, so I mean, even if when it was hot, you were able to dry off pretty quickly and cool down pretty quickly. But when uh, when we got to the long trail, man, it was like 70 degrees and like 90 percent humidity, and then kind of dropped to like 55 degrees and 90 percent humidity by the time we were done. And uh, I, uh, man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose that climate if I had to. I'd rather, I would almost rather not hike if I had to hike in ninety percent humidity for the rest of my life. Almost, not. I, I wouldn't choose it, but I, I would almost not hike. Yeah, that's intense and and probably a little bit dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. It's a straight. I mean, it was a really weird transition too, because you know you go from the CDT not sweating at all and doing twenty five miles a day or more or whatever, and then going to Vermont and sweating for all of the 13 miles that you hike per day. Wow. I can't oh, even man. fathom being able to walk that long on the CDT without like getting wet or even even sweating. Yeah. Because on the AT, it, you get poured on for like weeks at a time. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy, man. I don't think I had any rain for, we had, actually I lied, we had one like small hail slash rainstorm in glacier and then we i don't think we had rain for like almost the first month it was so dry this year it was crazy how would you compare the trail traffic between the three trails oh man so the at as everyone knows is super well trafficked this this year especially it's going to be probably absolutely ridiculous but um you know on the at you probably i think our year we i think we had what like six thousand people start at Amicalola Falls, and then like 1,200 people finish in Maine. So there's a good bit of traffic on the trail, and it you know definitely dissipates as you get north. Um, I, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't expecting a lot of people on the CDT. I was almost really expecting hardly any crowds and hardly any people at all. But um, I started the CDT with two friends of mine. And, uh, we, we were kind of expecting to like hike as a group for whatever amount of time. And 
you know, we, we definitely knew that eventually we'd probably split. Um, but the traffic on the CDT is super minimal. And that, that goes for not only through hikers, but section hikers and day hikers. Um, there's, there's really not a lot of access to the CDT. Um, and if there is access, it's usually within um, a pretty good distance to get there for like section hikes and, and day hikers and stuff. But uh, I think I would probably say there were maybe 40 to 50 southbounders on trail total. Um, I, at one point, was in a group of like seven southbound hikers. There was a group of like 10 southbounders a little bit ahead of us. And then, you know, maybe a couple of them have finished had finished already because we got a, we got kind of a late start or they were in New Mexico or whatever. And then I think the whole time I probably only saw maybe 50 to 60 Nobos pass me. So, I mean, uh, it was it was unbelievable how little amount of people there were out there. And uh, and I think for for CDT hikers, a lot of them like that aspect. Um, and I think that's like what draws a lot of people to the CDT. But also, I, I formed a group really quick. So I, I hiked with people most of the time um, on the CDT, which was kind of surprising. Um, and then the long trail is also kind of interesting because it's like 100 or whatever miles of it is the Appalachian Trail. They run congruent, and then they split at Main Junction. So I was expecting a lot of people on the, the long trail, but when we got, when we got there, um, we saw maybe a couple of northbounders the first night. And then throughout the trip, we probably only saw another 20 or 30 through hikers. Um, but pe- people do that, that trail at different times of the year, which is odd. Like I have, a, I have a friend that through hiked the long trail in June, which sounds almost like the most unbearable thing possible with the humidity and the bugs. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's, I think the long trail is probably less, much less traffic than the AT. I think both because it's, uh, it's pretty difficult as well as it's, you know, it's pretty short compared to the AT. I don't think as many people have an inclination to go out and hike it because it's only a 270 mile trail. Uh, but yeah, the AT is definitely ridiculous. It's it's the most traffic trail I've been on for sure. And, and what do you prefer? I mean, it's good that you hiked in a a group. I, I guess on both the CDT and the Long Trail. Um, how do you think you would have felt if you were kind of a little bit more isolated on the CDT and not forming that group? Um, you know, I had my days where I was alone, and it was nice. Uh, I, I like hiking alone, and I and I'm beginning to like it more and more as I have have more experience. Um, but I think the CDT also is one of those things where because there's not so many people out there and because you're, you're so isolated as it is with the geography, I think people have a tendency to group up on the CDT and try to form connections with people to kind of ensure that they do hike with people throughout the whole trail. But I think, I think I would have liked it if I were to do the CDT again in full, um, I think I would look forward to hiking alone. And I think and I think that's something that's also subjective, but especially on the CDT, it's like I said it's so isolated as it is already. You know, it's it, it's hard to feel like you're even with people out there because there's no one else around. You know, you don't have other groups passing you and you don't have day hikers and section hikers and ridge runners and stuff like like that. It's it's just you and whoever you're with. So, and I think that's, and I think that's kind of like the whole 
it's there's a difference between between being alone and lonely or something along the lines of that like I was never lonely on the trail because like I had my friends there but there were definitely times where like I was I felt alone even when there were people around me because of how desolate the wilderness was or how expansive the place was so I think it's yeah it's pretty wild yeah I think uh I think I would enjoy hiking the CDT alone and I think I would enjoy hiking any trail alone but I also really love people so it's hard to kind of escape that that feeling of wanting to make connections with people um and I don't think it's necessary that you have to do it even if you want to hike alone but you know it's it's hard to break habits and you know hiking with people is a habit of mine that's what I've been doing and we'll see what happens this year but yeah I, I would totally Totally hike it alone. I think the CDT would be really challenging alone. I think that would be really a really cool aspect of it. How did you navigate through the CDT, being that it's not really well maintained as a trail? Yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not well maintained at all. I mean, there's there's a lot of CDT signs, but I mean, in in relation to the amount of blazes you see, it's oh man, it's completely different. Um, navigating is fairly easy on the CDT because it. It's so expansive, you can already kind of see your line that you're hiking for the foreseeable future. But um, I had gut hooks as my primary form of uh, navigation. So just downloaded the maps and then kind of checked that periodically. Um, but I had a compass and, and the, the, the Jonathan Lay maps is back up. So there's, there's like gut hooks, the Jonathan Lay maps, and then the Bear Creek survey maps, which are all really uh, useful options for the CDT. Now, how helpful are those? Because um, my only experience with navigating is using the AWOL guide, which basically walks you through like every step of the AT. Um, so if you could compare it to that, how, how was your, how would you navigate using that, those tools? Yeah, and so if you can imagine the AWOL guide um, being in an interactive app, uh, that's pretty much gut hooks. It's got the, the line of the trail that you're going to be following on the map. It has the elevation profile. It has the water sources, um, but it also adds a couple other layers of innovation that I really like. Um, it's got crowdsourced info, so you can um, comment each of the locations. So, like the water sources or the campsites or whatever. So, Gut Hooks is pretty cool because it's really similar to how a wall is laid out, um, but it's interactive. So you get to see everything real time. It tells you where you're at. You know, so I don't know. I think if you were to do a, a CDT hike, CDD, I think we were all just kind of like, man, gut hooks kind of uh, is gut hooks is kind of cheating for this trail because prior to 2016, I think they didn't have gut hooks for the CDT. So it was like, you know, back two years ago, people were getting lost for hours because sometimes on the CDT, the trail just disappears into nothing. And, uh, you know, that's how it goes. But yeah, I, th I think, uh, I think there's options and, you know, each option is, you know, pretty valid. And I think anybody can hike the CDT with just gut hooks or, you know, a map if you want to. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I've heard of a few people using gut hooks on the AT, but I never really looked into it, but it sounds like a mix of AWOL and Waze, that navigation app. For yeah. Driving. Oh yeah, for sure, man. It's like, it's got everything unique gut hooks is super super convenient and i think it adds like an extra i don't know sense of security as well like you know if you're ever if you're ever really lost like gut hooks is that tool that you can use 
I think it's I think it's an awesome app, and I like that it's crowdsourced too. So I like, you know, oh yeah, this water source was was you know flowing two days ago, but it could be dry now. You know what I mean? I think that aspect of it is pretty cool. Get some information ahead of the trip. Yeah, that sounds like a, an amazing resource to have. Now, how how was your phone service on the CDT? Like, do you need service and cell reception no, to be no, able to use that app? Hooks is uh, something that that you can download the app and then uh, you can download the maps and photos. So you can use offline maps, which is basically just like a GPS overview, uh, or you can download the USGS national maps, uh, which includes the topography and all that good stuff, uh, the contour lines. So yeah, you can, you can use it offline. Um, but as far as service goes, uh, it just depends on what carrier you have. Um, Verizon, surprisingly enough, I probably had service 40 to 50% of the time on the CDT, um, which was, you know, convenient, I suppose. But uh, like Sprint and other carriers, AT&T, was, it was pretty scarce. When you're on the trail, do you post photos or you wait till you get home to like edit the pictures and then post? Um, I post while I'm on trail. So what I do is I shoot the photo and I shoot in RAW. Um, and then I have like a little SD card reader that plugs into my phone. Um, I transfer the raw file, use uh, Lightroom uh, to edit, Adobe Lightroom on my phone. And then I post uh, to the blog, Instagram. So how do you carry your camera equipment on these trails? Um, so I started off carrying uh, my camera and like basically all of my electronics in a chest pack. Um, so I picked up like a, I don't even know, it's like a $30 chest pack from Best Buy and clipped it onto my pack uh, using some carabiners. And that's how I carried my camera for like 1,100 miles on the AT. Um, and after that, I switched to carrying a Peak Design capture clip, which is like that little piece of equipment that, that clicks on your shoulder strap and then a tripod screw mount screws onto the camera and then you kind of clip that into the clip on your shoulder strap and it keeps it secure. Um, that was kind of nice, uh, especially like in New Hampshire and Maine where there was a lot of steep descents. Um, I didn't want to have to like fumble with a, a chest pack or have it bouncing on me. Um, so I did that for the second half of the AT and then on the CDT and the long trail, um, I actually carry a piece of gear called the through pack. Um, so I, I think it's called the through pack. It's basically the, uh, like a Dyneema fanny pack though. And it's made by the company through pack. Um, super, super great people at that company. And they hooked me up with one and I actually had it made specifically for, for uh, the dimensions of my camera and the lens I was carrying. And I actually carried it like a, like an over the shoulder sling. So I had it like at my hip basically the whole time. And, you know, if I was, like, on an, on an uphill climb or something like that, I would tighten the strap. If I was on descending or something or on, on flat, it would just kind of just be at my hip. Uh, that was super convenient. It was It's Dyneema. It was, like, a zip top. So I would just kind of sling it in there and sling it over the shoulder and then put the pack on. And I'd, I'd always have it at the ready right at my hip, which was really, really convenient. So I carried uh, the Sony A6000 for the AT and the CDT. And then actually my A6000 got like completely soaked in a downpour on the CDT and got ruined. So I had to pick up a new camera, the RX100, which is like a little point and shoot size camera, but it's, it's a beast of a camera and got some really nice specs to 
to it. And I've been using that since. And uh, so now I've been just kind of putting the uh, RX100 in my shoulder strap pockets and uh, it fits a little bit tight so pain to get out in, in you know situations where I want it at the access. But um, yeah, it's just sits in my shoulder strap pocket and then if it rains, I'll just throw it in my backpack. So what do you prefer, um, the pack or the peak design clip? Mm. Um, I think it just depends on what camera you have. Um, if you have like a huge DSLR, like, um, I don't know, like a Nikon D whatever, or a big Canon or, or even if you're carrying like a big Sony, um, I think, I think it's probably more comfortable to have it on like the shoulder strap, uh, for like a, like a fanny pack or whatever, some sort of carrying device, um, that you can put over the shoulder that doesn't sit on the chest. But it, it gets annoying after a while just having like a second piece of gear that you have to look after or to worry about. Um, but also like the peak design camera clip, there's like no 100% way to keep it watertight while you're hiking. They offer like a neoprene sleeve for it, but it's not like foolproof. You know, water can soak, soak under the entrance or whatever. Um, I don't know. I think it's i think it just depends on what camera you're carrying and what your goals are you know if you're gonna if you're gonna be the person that's vlogging your trip and you want to talk to the camera a lot you know that's your main focus like you probably want to have it at the ready so like the peak design clip where you can just literally grab it off your shoulder is probably best but um i don't know i like the shoulder strap pockets now man like putting that rx 100 just like in the left shoulder pocket on my uh my pack is is pretty nice i don't have to worry worry about like another piece of gear it just kind of is integrated into my 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 gear list now you know yeah that's cool it must be small that it could just fit in that little pocket right yeah yeah but it's still capable of taking amazing pictures because i've seen them yeah yeah most definitely dude that, that camera is really great and uh, me and me and a couple of other people in the, the like the photographer hiking community or whatever have been talking about these cameras recently because we're all like oh what should we carry you know, what, what camera should we, should we bring the, the big camera or is this camera okay? It's like the size of my palm and it, and it fits in a shoulder strap pocket and it's got like a big, a big enough sensor where, uh, you can print pretty big if you want to, if you're into that and the dynamic range on it is pretty sweet. So phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, it's super small. It's like 12 ounces or 14 ounces for a camera and instead instead of bringing like a big DSLR or something. So yeah, that's pretty convenient. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. It does really well in low light. And that's, I took like a lot of my uh, night photography photos uh, on the CDT this year with that camera. And I was, I was really surprised with its capability. So do you bring a, a tripod with you too for like long exposures? Um, yeah, I have like, like one of those little Gorilla Joby pods. It's like one of those ones that you can kind of wrap around like trees or posts or whatever. Uh, but most of the time it just sits on the ground. So it's kind of limiting and, you know, it's only like a six or eight inch tripod. Um, but it's good enough for, uh, for, for night photos for sure. Cool. And what's your process on trail when you are taking a photo? Do you just kind of hike and then, you know, whip it right out of that shoulder pocket or is it a little more deliberate? Do you, do you see uh, a cool view and then plan it out and set up? How does that work? Yeah, I think there's, um, I don't know. I think there's like a, a big difference between like somebody taking a photo and then like somebody planning a photo. So yeah, I, I plan photos sometimes like, and a lot of the times, especially recently on any hike I've been on, I generally like went out 
with a purpose for my photography. Like, oh, this is this is what I want to shoot this time around. I take more portraits, or I want to focus on you know, I don't know the the small details and things. So yeah, I think there's like a, a definitely a level of planning that goes into each shot. Um, but some things you, you can't really plan for, you know what I mean? So yeah, I just usually like, if, especially, I don't know, especially on like a long through hike, like the CDT, like I had kind of like a, a goal in mind for what I wanted to capture and what I wanted to document. Um, but yeah, I just kind of have it in my pocket, man. And if I see an opportunity to get a shot that I think I can use to portray what I'm I'm trying to say like yeah yeah I think it's just kind of like on the whim and then like I said you can't really plan for a lot of this stuff especially on the CDT like you know you'll just randomly see a herd of elk running across the desert or across the the plains or you'll see wild horses in in Wyoming or, or whatever so yeah yeah for sure it's just kind of on the whim most of the time but some planning yeah I'm sure that's when it's good to have uh that shoulder strap easily accessible yeah it's seriously just like you reach in you're good pull it out and yeah but i mean when you're actually like taking the photo i definitely keep composition in mind i want to get the best photo of whatever scenes in front of me um so going back to comparing um the three trails did you experience any trail magic on the cdt or the long trail yeah uh minimal on the cdt um i wouldn't say like anything to stand out as far as like scale so like on the at you would come to those road crossings you probably remember it would just be like a church group or a, a family that has got like a grill going with burgers and hot dogs and there's beer and like all these wonderful things happening and there, there's nothing like i didn't have anything like that on the cdt unfortunately um but i have like really really amazing and well-timed trail magic like in uh, the one that really sticks out to me um I really, really enjoyed was, uh, I mean, there's tons of, tons of examples, but the one in Yellowstone, when I was in Yellowstone, like I was like super dehydrated. I had like, I don't even know how many miles we were at for the day, but it was peak peak day. It was like one o'clock in the afternoon and it's roasting outside. And this guy gets out of his car and like him and his buddies are drinking beer and me and Sonic, uh, one of the girls that was in the group, we were, we were hiking together at the time and we both were just like looking at the beer and the Gatorade and we're just like, man that looks great like walked away and we were like oh bummer you know they that would have been sweet if we would have got trail magic but oh no worries you know and like two minutes later he comes back and he's like hey you guys uh hiking the pct we're like yeah what's up man and he's like oh i hiked the pct like two years ago do you guys want some beer and gatorade and we're just like oh god the gods have spoken and uh you know that one at the at the time like that one was was huge for me and then i i pounded like two beers and hobbled my way down to this hot spring in Yellowstone and like fell asleep on the trail for like an hour and a half, which was awesome. That was a, that was a good one there on the CDT. So there, there's not much trail magic on the CDT, but when it happened, it really, really made a difference in my hike. Um, but, and then the long trail. Oh yeah. We had, we had great trail magic on the long trail. We actually ended up staying with this couple, uh, Winkle, Scooter and I, all three of us stayed with this couple two two times in Stowe, Vermont. They, uh, they picked us up and took us back to their house, cooked us dinner, cooked us breakfast, and then brought us to the trail the first day. And then when we went back through Stowe, uh, they actually picked us up again with bagels and coffee and, uh, took us back to their house again, cooked breakfast again, 
and then took us to the trail in the morning. So yeah, I mean, the long trail is almost like a continuation of the AT as far as trail magic and the community goes. There's a lot of Green Mountain Club volunteers that really make a difference and uh, really provide support for that trail, which is which is awesome and amazing for everybody doing it. I mean, it's crazy to hear the differences between all those trails, but I mean, it makes sense. They're all trails, they're all long trails, but being at completely different parts of the country and completely different mm-hmm. geographic locations um, and just the culture behind them all too. It's in- it's interesting to hear the juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even like, not even just the geographic locations, but just like the socioeconomic factors of everything. Like on the CDT, man, like, You've, you were walking through almost completely barren and desolated old mining towns a lot of the time, you know, like a lot of these towns just like don't have the people that the towns on the coast or the towns, you know, that have a university in, in them have. So, yeah, it was, it was really crazy. Like That's what I was expecting on the CDT was just that vast expanse of a, of a piece of land. But also, like, I had a feeling that a lot of the towns weren't going to be this you know, bustling, blossoming town and, and whatnot. But there were a few of them that were amazing, you know, like some really great towns on the CDT. Um, but they definitely weren't anything similar to the trail towns on the AT, not even close. Right. I mean, that's another great aspect of long distance hiking is being able to see the country from a different standpoint. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. That's what I, I think I appreciate most about it is, you know, you get to see the small, hidden aspects of this country and you know traveling on foot is already so different than traveling by car and uh i think it just adds like a whole nother layer to it you know you get to see like these crazy small forgotten places at such a slow speed it's uh it's really immersive for sure and what was the wildlife like on those trails did you encounter anything i mean you said you saw some animals uh, running past you on the CDT. Can you just dive a little bit deeper into that? Yeah, yeah. So CDT is pretty cool as far as wildlife go, for sure. Um, in, in Glacier, we got to see um, bighorn. Um, I, I didn't personally see any bears the entire CDT somehow. Everybody around me uh, was was hike, that was hiking saw grizzly bears and brown bear, black bears, and, you know, these, these crazy wildlife um, encounters. See... A, honestly a, a shit ton of awesome stuff but uh i got to see like yeah bighorn sheep and glacier i got to see this oh this is probably the coolest one this is my favorite wildlife encounter uh, um and we were it was probably like eight o'clock in the evening and we were in montana and there was like four of us four or five of us and we were like basically hiking to our campsite but it, it was beginning to get dark and uh, we, we started hearing a whole bunch of birds in, in the bushes, and we were almost at 10,000 feet, and we were almost to the peak. And uh, all of a sudden, like, a bald eagle bursts from the tree of a raven in its town. And as the bald eagle was flying, two more ravens came out of this bush. The bald eagle dropped the raven, the dead raven, from its talons and, like, just took, like, a burst of wind and flew off. And uh, that was that was crazy. Um, but you get to see elk, you get to see moose, you get to see legitimate wild stallions in the basin of Wyoming. Um, I, I had, you know, me and, me and mayor, actually a buddy of mine, uh, we, we got to see a herd of horses run full blast across the plains, which was sweet. 
Yeah, so there's tons of wildlife, which is crazy. Damn, that eagle story is insane. <laughs> I can't imagine that. Yeah, yeah, that was the craziest thing I've ever seen as far as animals go. But I never thought I would see something like that, but it happened. And what about on the long trail? I imagine it's probably similar to the AT, which there wasn't really crazy amounts of animals. Nothing too crazy. Um, I don't even know if we, I think we saw some deer and heard some loons. And that's probably it. Um, yeah, definitely no, no moose, no bear. Yeah, nothing too crazy on the long trail as far as wildlife goes. Really similar to the AT. When you're hiking, do you listen to anything? Yeah, yeah, I listen to podcasts and I uh, listen to music sometimes. I, I usually try to start the day with nothing, you know, for a couple hours, maybe like anywhere from like four to five, five miles. You know, hike in the morning with just the sounds of the trail and whatnot. But yeah, I usually listen to music, especially in the latter half of the day, for sure. And what kind of music? Is there a specific genre or are you just like all over the place? Um, Kind of all over the place. I'll listen to rap sometimes and hip hop. That's a rare occasion. Um, but I play music too. I'm, I'm like, I play drums in a band or I used to be in a band at least. And we used to play like, um, like kind of like pop punk, like emo, I guess is a genre or uh, math rock. So kind of like technical ambient um rock it's a form of rock and roll you know something like that but uh yeah i have some bands there's a band called chan that i really like and uh they're they're all instrumental for the most part but they're um they're pretty cool they have like really crazy time signatures and really technical guitar and yeah it just depends you know depends on my mood sometimes i'll listen to lord of the rings soundtrack <laughs> okay yeah it, it bounces around you know but i podcast Yes, I, I definitely delve into a lot this year, too. I didn't ask you earlier. Um, can you tell the story of how you got your trail name? Uh, yeah, yeah. So on that section hike I did in Massachusetts in uh, 2014, um, I hiked with uh, Neon and Happy Feet. And Happy Feet, one day, I think this was like maybe probably – I probably had like two or three more days left of hiking with them. And I was still going by Nate. And um, I, I had like no inclination that I was going to get a trail name or – no really want to get one at that point. I was expecting to probably just get one on my through hike. And um, I don't even remember, but one, like one morning we woke up and like we were hiking and he asked me like what my favorite tattoo was. And on my left leg under my knee, I have a PMA tattoo, which stands for positive mental attitude. And, and um, he was like, Oh cool. You know, that, that's awesome. And uh, like the next day he just like one, one day shouted out Puma and I looked at him, I was like, what are you talking about, dude? And he was like, like positive, ubiquitous mental attitude. Dude. Okay. And uh, he gave me that trail name. And at first, yeah, at first I was kind of like, I don't know, hesitant to take it. Like I knew it had, I knew it was cool like to have like a trail name, but like I was also like, kind of expecting to get one on my through hike. But um, yeah, I, I kind of just went with it. So it, it stuck and yeah, still, still years later, so. Cool. I didn't even know it like um, stood for anything, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I usually don't tell. I mean, I generally don't tell this story. Most people don't ask. So, but yeah. Well, that's yeah, what we're here for. Of sorts. Yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I think it, I think it's cool. And I, I, the more I guess, the more I hike, and the more that I'm referred to as Puma, I think like the more I appreciate where it came from and who gave it to me and you know, what it reminds me of. So I think, yeah, I think it's important for sure. 
So I usually ask this question um, just about the AT, but I guess you have many different experiences to pick it from. Um, what was like the worst moment that you experienced while backpacking? Oh man, um, probably this year on the this past year on the CDT, definitely. Um, oh yeah, for sure, it was definitely the worst day of my hiking life, I guess. Um, it was myself, a friend of mine, Red Bass, and another friend, Stopper. We were all, all like, we were all hiking together at this point, and we were in a section of the CDT called the Sheep Experiment Wilderness. Um, and it was like a place back in the 60s that the U.S. did experiments on sheep, and it's just like a wide-open landscape. And uh, towards the southern end of it, you go over like a 10,000 foot pass. And so like I, we knew it was supposed to rain that day, but, um, I, I was planning on beating the rain and trying to, trying to get ahead of it. So like I, I packed up at like, you know, one o'clock after we, we just, we had just dried all of our stuff out and I like packed up my stuff and like started chucking down my miles. And I got like maybe within two miles of the summit or the peak or whatever you want to call it, the pass. And like this, no, this Nobo like comes running down the mountain and he's just like, Hey man, he's like, the weather was really shit up there, but it should be good on the other side. And I was like, oh, okay, great, man. We'll see what happens, you know? And he's like, it's going to clear up. Like, that's what I remember him saying. So I was like super stoked because it was starting to rain. So I like put my rain jacket on and I got my shorts on just like hiking away. And I've got my camera in my through pack. It's on my hip. And, uh, you know, the next two miles, it's like getting worse a little bit by the, by the half hour, it's like starting to rain a little colder. It's starting to get a little bit colder. And, uh, this was probably what month was this probably like late August. Um, yeah, late August or mid August, somewhere around there. So it's like in the summer, but also you're at where we were at elevation and I was alone at this point. I'd been alone for like maybe three hours. It was probably like four, four or five o'clock. And, uh, so like I'm hiking and I get to like the peak and the summit and I'm like looking at one side of the mountain and it's completely crystal clear blue skies. And I'm looking, uh, South towards where I was hiking. And it was just, uh, there was like an actual cloud that I was getting ready to hike into. You could see like where the cloud started and uh, like, I didn't have any other choice. I just kept hiking and I had probably, this was the day that the day before we were planning on getting to Yellowstone we were planning on getting to this, it was like where the trail split and we were going to take an alternate called you did like this little resort town. So we were planning on like, everybody was planning on camping right before the trail split. And, uh, so like that was my goal and that was still like maybe nine or 10 miles away. So I had like already like an hour of rain that I was, that I had been hiking in. And then for the next, like, eight, eight miles. It was just like a torrential downpour and it just got worse and worse. And the wind was probably like 40 miles an hour. And it got to the point where like, I finally like clipped the summit and was on my way down. And it, it was probably like three miles of switchbacks and there was like lightning striking everywhere. I mean, not everywhere, you know, very, very close within proximity. And honestly, it got to the point where it was pouring down rain and it was probably 40 degrees outside and I was actually shivering and shaking while I was hiking. So I started to like jog a little bit and my phone wouldn't work because the 
brain was coming down, so I couldn't check gut hooks, and I didn't want to like try to use a map at the time because it was pouring down rain. And uh, so like I, I knew the trail was going to split off, off onto a Jeep road and take a left. So I was like running as fast as I could to try to keep my body temperature up. And I hit the dirt road, but instead of it being dirt, it was completely mud. So I hit this mud road and slipped immediately into the road. And it's pouring down rain. I'm, I'm alone. I'm cold and shaking. And I'm at this point covered in like three inches of mud on my entire left side of my body. And at that point, like I was losing, I, I was really, really losing it. I was like cur- cursing and swearing and screaming at, at the universe because I was soaked and I was cold and thought I was going to die. And I like, so I like hiked like another like half mile until like, I just couldn't take it anymore. Like I had to set up my shelter so I could get warm. And I like ran off the Jeep road and like found like a semi covered spot in the woods and set up my shelter in a downpour. Like I, everything is just soaked to the bone. And, uh, like I, I eventually my clothes into like my half damp leggings and my half wet down or synthetic jacket. And, And yeah, and I checked my camera that night and it was comp- like completely soaked on the battery compartment and I turned it on and it turned on for like a split second and then like glitched out. And I, at that point, like I had, I knew it was, it was fried internally. So like I'm soaking wet and there's, there's water everywhere in my tent and it's pouring down rain. And eventually I just like fall asleep and, and wake up and I get a call. I actually surprisingly had service. So when my phone finally like dried out, uh, I like got a call at like five 30 in the morning from one of the guys that was behind me in my group and he was like shouting and I could hear him outside of my tent but I could also hear him on my phone and he was and he's he's uh from Quebec so he's French Canadian and he was just like shouting and he's just like Puma where are you and I was just like I'm in the woods dude like I don't I don't know like I'm I'm in a really bad spot and he's like I'm and like we both like ran out onto the jeep road and like I was looking at him and like he was like maybe like 200 feet ahead of me in the woods um, that, that was probably like the worst day on, on any trail or maybe my, maybe my whole life. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that sounds super sketchy and very miserable. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was really sketch. Like I've never been that cold and, uh, never been that cold while hiking. And I've never been that cold to the point where I couldn't get warm. So it was, yeah, it was really sketch. I eventually just like huddled in my tent and everything was wet and, kind of like got in my sleeping bag and I only had like a 30 degree bag at that point and it was kind of damp because it, was, it had just been raining for so long that everything soaked through and uh yeah it was just it was a bad bad day dude <laughs> not a good day and I'm assuming you didn't have insurance on your camera nope no insurance <laughs> yeah so like uh, no insurance on the camera I wake up the next day and it's like a beautiful sunny day and uh, I try to like turn my camera on and it doesn't work try to I take the battery out and all that good stuff and um, I didn't have insurance on it so and Yellowstone was coming up as well as the winds and I was like freaking out because I thought I wasn't gonna have a camera for that section and uh, yeah and like that the the whole next day getting to Yellowstone was like that crazy bushwhack and uh, on that Maxin alternate route we took and uh, that day like I saw like a 1500 pound bull moose like 10 feet away from me and I I had no way to take like a decent photo of it. Uh, so bummed. But yeah, I eventually got a new camera ordered like right before Yellowstone. And do you have insurance now? 
Yep. As soon as I bought that camera, I, I purchased the uh, the insurance along with it. Yeah, hind- <laughs> hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, I was really bummed, but honestly, like I was more worried about my memory cards That's than true. the camera body. And those were fine. Yeah, the memory cards were fine. I was, yeah, because like I, I mean, my camera is like it's a nice camera, but it, like the body is only like three hundred and fifty or four hundred dollars. You know what I mean? So it's, I would, I would pay four hundred dollars to keep my memory cards safe. Yeah, right. I mean, that's what has all, all the meaningful stuff on it. Definitely, dude. That's where my head was at. Like, I, I just had to find a silver lining because I was actually freaking out. <laughs> like, I was so, so torn up about it. But what can you do? As long as you have the memory still, I guess that's all that matters. And yeah, it's replaceable. So you got a new one and you learned a lesson. So there you go. Yeah, most, most definitely. A few lessons within that day, for sure. Uh, you talked about your worst moment. Do you remember your best moment on any of those trails? Um, yeah, I think each of them have their own. Uh, for the AT, um, I think Katahdin like obviously is like the, the best for me. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that's for everyone, but for me, I was unbelievably out of, out of my mind when I summited that mountain. Like, I, I, I have no idea like the emotions I was feeling. And that was like the, you know, the last day, the last mile, the last mountain, it was the end of the entire thing. <clears throat> and uh, I think, yeah, that was like the biggest, the biggest high for me on the AT was Katahdin. But I think like I had a lot of fun in Southern Maine, even though it was really hard. And I, I think the, the whites were just phenomenal. Um, but on the, the CDT, uh, the, the winds definitely take the cake for biggest and best moments. But also I think like, I don't know how I want to define the best you know that's like a hard thing to do is to define like what the best moment was but there was a, a day on the cdt where we were in montana and we were headed towards uh this this place called storm lake and you eventually like pass storm lake and then you, you start the ascent to storm lake pass and then you have like a mile ridge walk uh towards goat flats and this place was incredible and that day was really really inspiring i don't know like we we got to the top of it was golden hour and we were debating on whether we should camp up there or keep going over to goat flats Wait, where'd you get to the top of you you broke up uh, sorry we got to the uh top of storm lake pass and uh we got to the top and we it was it was golden hour and, and we we could either camp up there it wasn't really the best camping um, or we were we were deciding if we wanted to push on to Goat Flats, which is like this just giant flat plateau um, on top of this huge huge mountain pass at like ten thousand feet. And we decided to push on, and it was like a mile ridge walk to the top of Goat Flats. And I like remember getting to the top and just being completely overwhelmed with like joy and and almost like a like a form of like anxiety was coming over me because like I've never been in like a, a place that big before like glacier is huge but you're like not on top of the glaciers you're like in kind of in the valleys and you go over the passes but you're still not on the peaks but like goat flats was like you're like on this giant mountain and there's like this huge plateau and i remember you can just you could just see for miles and miles and i was yeah i was really overwhelmed like almost paralyzed with like with joy and and almost fear a little bit even just because it was so big yeah, so that was that was probably that and Katahdin were probably my two favorite moments so far. 
Awesome. And I guess, yeah, when I say best, I guess I would mean like most impactful um, that like would put you in the moment. So those are two really good answers. And did you get to summit Katahdin on a nice clear day? Yeah, we had a beautiful day. Uh, I summited with Beehive and uh, our friends Pokey and Loop. And we had amazing weather. We got a pretty early start on the day and uh, the, the whole climb up is it's really technical and we had like a perfect wet perfect weather to you know do that challenging terrain and then we got to the top and it was sunny skies and you know maybe a little bit of overcast and we were up there for i don't know four hours maybe three hours just enjoying the view and kind of just soaking it all in yeah eventually made our way down and yeah the rest is you know that, that was that but yeah it was beautiful katahdin's a, a wonderful wonderful mountain um, again, this could be on any of those trails. Do you remember any like right place, right time type of moments? Um, yeah. Let's see here. I mean, there's there's tons like that that eagle in in the the raven story. Like there couldn't have been a more right. perfect more perfect time. Um, the bull moose that I saw. Um, there couldn't have been a more perfect time because I was upwind of it, and, and you know it didn't me, but I was within like ten feet of this massive creature, and it was huge. Um, right place right time well it could have been before you uh damaged your camera <laughs> right yeah i mean it just so happened to be that day like I, and i feel like and that might be wrong place right time or right or wrong wrong time right place yeah i mean i don't know like i feel like the trail is kind of like always the right place right time because like i don't know like i've never never had some like terrible terrible experience on trail like sure like i've been cold for a long time and wet for a long time and you know i've had like upsetting occurrences happen on trail but like i don't know it's always the right time for for me to be out there at least like it always feels more right being there than it does here so i don't know yeah i mean even the bad times it's all part of the journey you're not you're not going there for it to be easy um the struggle you sign up for that so it's all it's all part of it and it's what it's what makes it special is being able to overcome. Yeah, yeah, that's the way I feel, man. Is is just always the right time, and you know, it's, there's never there's never a bad time to like step foot on any of the trails. There's never a bad time to like you know take a step in whatever direction you want to go, and yeah, that's why I like the AT and just like the our trail systems in general. Is, you know, the trails themselves, regardless of who's on them, they're so welcoming. You know, they're not gonna they're not going to deny you access or push you away for any reason, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're open to everybody. It's just the open land. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Regardless of who's out there, you know, they're, they're always going to be there to, to hike and hopefully people take advantage of it and get out there. I don't know. seems like a good idea and it is a good idea. You know, I've had, like I've said, I've, I've had bad, bad days on trail before, but even like the work, first days on trail like i'd rather be experiencing those than the best day in an office that i don't want to be in yeah the worst day on trail is better than the best, the best day, day I, I, yeah. I feel you. yeah For sure what's your hygiene like on the trail like what do you keep with you and how like often or frequently do you try to get clean yeah um so like my med kit and like hygiene kit is, is i mean pretty minimal but i have everything like that you should have. Like I carry a toothbrush, obviously toothpaste. Um, but on the CDT, I actually tried out the Dr. Bronner's method, uh, for toothpaste. So instead of carrying 
like Dr. Bronner's and like a, a little thing of toothpaste. I just use Dr. Bronner's for soap and toothpaste. Um, so I, yeah, brush my teeth obviously every day and or try to every day. Some people forget. Um, and then toilet paper, uh, a, a trowel or like a tent stake. Sometimes I use tent stakes or whatever. As long as you can dig a hole, uh, I think you're good. Whether it be a, with a rock or a tent stake or a trowel. Um, and then, yeah, med kit's pretty, uh, pretty simple. Ibuprofen, and that's it. That's about it. I don't think I even I carried that. I didn't carry that in the Grayson Highlands, and I was kind of sad because my foot was hurting this past week. But, um, yeah, vitamin I, and that's it, man. And then hygiene. I don't know, try to shower when you can, you know, like every time you get to town, like if you're getting a hostel or a hotel, obviously shower, but so many town stops where I've just like went into town, resupplied and got out, you know, and didn't really take the time to worry about a shower. Yeah. It's not like you're clean for that long anyway. Right. I mean, this, especially on the AT, as soon as you start hiking, it's like, why did I even shower? This is pointless. <laughs> and what does your diet look like? Um, int- it's an interesting topic, I guess for, for me. Cause like prior so on the AT, um, I ate whatever I wanted, didn't really pay attention too much to nutrition. I just kind of made sure I got as many calories as I could. Um, when I got back from the AT though, I actually went vegan. Um, so I was vegan for probably close to 10, nine or 10 months. Um, and then I got on the CDT and I had actually, I had boxed up like 13 resupply boxes for the CDT total. And they were every resupply box I made was was like a vegan resupply box, so it, you know didn't have any meat or dairy products or whatever. Um, but I quickly realized like that the trail towns really didn't allow for a healthy vegan diet. So like I would get into like I don't know Ledor instance, you go there and uh, there's one restaurant and like they only sell meat and dairy products. You know what I mean? And you can eat vegan, but you're going to be eating potatoes potatoes basically um so like a lot a lot of the times i would basically i would have to eat um you know non-vegan meals on the cdt but and eventually i kind of just made the transition back to eating healthy and not really following a diet um so yeah that that was kind of the way i did it was i started vegan and my resupply box is vegan um but when i was in town and they didn't really have like a nutritional meal for vegans i i was okay with not eating vegan you know what i mean yeah, so are you still are you vegan now or did you just kind of stop after that? Yeah, I'm not vegan right now and I think I'm not sure why I'm not vegan right now because I probably should be. I, I really enjoyed how I felt when I was vegan. I think it's like a, a valid choice for a diet. Um, but it definitely takes a lot of diligence and you know, and I don't know. I live kind of a fast-paced lifestyle even back home. Like I feel like I'm always doing something, so it's hard I guess to eat vegan but I should do it. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. It's like I, I'm making up all these excuses, but I should be vegan again. I, I enjoy it for sure. What's your go-to vegan meal? Um, probably like what, <laughs> what actually beehive me and my friend beehive had last night, dude, we made like potatoes. So we basically cut up a bunch of potatoes and onions and peppers and Brussels sprouts and broccoli even sometimes or whatever whatever you want green beans and um put it all in a giant bowl uh a bunch of olive oil in it and then season it and throw it in the oven for like you know 30 or 40 minutes until the potatoes are done and then you know get some rat sauce and 
you've got like a meal that feeds like five to seven hikers or people uh, or more people because hikers eat, eat way more and uh, 15 bucks and you can make like a week's worth of food or you know a meal for like five to seven people cool i, I love how you say like you could feed five to seven hikers as if that's like a new measurement of per serving per hiker right because really that five to seven hikers is like 10 to 14 regular people yeah right that hiker hunger <laughs> right yeah that's real did you journal um yeah here and there um i i think i think i had like the intention to to journal and to blog and to take notes way more frequently than i did on the at um cdt i definitely blogged and took notes much better than i did on the at and then long trail i was pretty diligent but also i was just really tired at that point so i didn't make as much of an effort as I have. um yeah i think it's yeah i think it's important to kind of take notes and journal and blog and just document your trip however you want in the moment so you don't forget you know because your your opinions are always going to be biased afterwards all right i think that wraps up my i guess personal questions and now i just want to like ask you about your gear okay so if you want to just go down the list um, and you could just tell me like what you hike with now because you obviously have years of tweaking um, your arsenal. So uh, let's yeah, just start yeah, off with sure. your backpack. Um, I carry a Palante Simple Pack right now. That's what I've been carrying for the uh, CDT and the Long Trail and what I'll be carrying this year. And how many liters is that? I think it's like a 38 or 40 liter. It's got the, like the bottom pocket, which adds some space, and then the front mesh pocket. And then the shoulder strap pockets too. So I don't know what they actually classify, but I think it's like a 40 liter. Okay. Would you consider yourself um, like ultralight? Uh, um, yeah, I, I, it's like right around the weight. Yeah, that you need to be ultralight. I think they, I don't know what the actual weight rules are. I think it's like 10 pounds or under or something like that. And I think with my camera, it's at, I think I'm at like nine, 9.1 or so. So I think that's ultralight. I don't know pretty close to it at least there's people that are way lighter and what about your footwear uh, i started off wearing like vask trail runners on the at and then uh i ran an ultra marathon in like february and i used hokas so i was wearing like the hoka what are they challengers and then those kind of like screwed up my feet on the cdt i got like some pretty gnarly blisters size too small and then i switched to the ultra lone peaks and that's probably what I'll be doing most of my hiking in. Um, I tried out a pair of Merrill Trails recently, and um, they're pretty minimal, and they, they kind of wore my feet down. My, my right foot actually was developing tendonitis in, like, the toes, in, like, the tendons that go to the toes. And, uh, yeah, me and Wankles, we actually, we actually had to switch shoes for, like, the last, like, eight miles on the trail because – I could I could physically not walk with how little cushion uh, they had, which was pretty terrible. Are you gonna try minimal shoes again, or you're done? Oh uh, no, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep at it. I just think my my feet just aren't strong enough yet. That's like just like the real problem. Um, so I'll probably keep running in them and keep hiking in them on shorter section hikes. Um, we did like a marathon like the last day on that section hike, Wankles and I did, and. That was just like a really terrible idea for my feet. They were already hurting and my right foot was already like developing the tendonitis and like we just kept going and I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. 
And uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll try them again, and I'll keep using them. But I'll probably through hike in the Lone Peaks. I think. Yeah, that was a really popular shoe back when I was hiking. So yeah, they were uh, they were wonderful. They were really comfortable and pretty aggressive tread, and they held up pretty well. I, I think I had a pair for nearly eleven hundred miles. I mean, they were absolutely falling apart at the end. Um, but yeah, I pushed them like to eleven. 100 miles which is pretty cool and what kind of tent do you use um i'm rocking a z-pax hexamid right now I'm going to be selling that and getting the hexamid pocket tarp uh for the pct um i at least for the the desert section and probably hopefully the whole trail but we'll see how that goes um yeah so hexamid right now and then probably going to go to a pocket tarp or some sort of light tarp system this year do you use trekking poles um, not avidly while I'm walking, um, but I do carry one and I'll use it for like stream crossings or on longer mile days when I get tired. Um, so, and then I use it to set up my shelter. So instead of carrying like a tent pole, I'll just carry one trekking pole and I usually walk without it. But once I hit like a certain mileage for the day, I generally get kind of tired and it's nice to have something to lean on and to help assist. So yeah, just one of them. And what kind of trekking pole is that? Um, I just got a Gossamer Gear one. So uh, I think Gossamer Gear LT5s or something like that. They're like uh, carbon fiber, super light. Okay. And sleeping bag? Um, right now I have two that rotate between. I have a 30-degree uh, Nemo Siren quilt that I got on the AT. So that one's got like, oh, man like close to 3,500 miles on it, maybe a little bit more. Um, and it's it's really like a 35 or a 40 degree now since it's uh, been compressed over and over forever. But have a 10 degree Enlightened, uh, enlightened Equipment Enigma. Um, and that's the one with the sewn flip box. So that's my warm bag. Okay, and what about your sleeping pad? Um, Neo Air X-Lite. Um and I think I'm going to try a closed cell foam pad this year in the desert, probably. Never slept on a foam pad before, um, but it's kind of an interest to see if I can do it. You know, I've lightened everything else, and I've tried to be open-minded about every other aspect of, like, the whole gear thing. So I should probably try that. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I like the, the crinkly chip bag. Um, and what about your stove and pot? This, this past year, I didn't cook any meals. Um, I just used a like a Talenti um, or the gelato jar, and I have like a long handle spoon. So what's in that jar? Oh, um, <laughs> generally ramen. Um, so for my like resupply boxes, boxes, it was like Oriental ramen, which is vegan. If you get the top ramen one, not the Marichan, um, and then like the instant mashed potatoes with uh, without butter which is pretty sweet. Um, I would do wraps. So I'd like make those two together. Um, it's like a ramen bomb or whatever. And then do a uh, cold stuffing, uh, like dinners. Um, you just eat a bunch of bars and chips. You put chips in everything. So yeah, man. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's all right. It's not the worst, but, uh, I mean, when it's like 40 degrees outside and you're eating, Cold ramen and an instant mashed potato ramen bomb for the 60th night in a row. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's pretty, it's kind of demeaning a little bit. You're just like, man, I wish that this was warm just a little bit. <laughs>
Yeah, okay. The the fact that it's cold definitely makes it a little bit less appealing, but... Yeah. And, like, during the summer, it's, like, kind of warm, you know what I mean? Just because it's hot outside. Um, but, like, in the winter or, like, in the cold, it's it's not fun. So I'll probably... I might do a stove for winter for any, like, like fall backpacking. I, for winter backpacking, I'll, I'll definitely bring a stove. And it'll probably be either, like, a snow peak little stove like a canister stove or something else i don't know i don't really know much too much about winter stoves like i know if we uh if i were to do something crazy like like it would be probably like with the whisper light msr whisper light stove or something like that but um yeah i might i might go back to a stove at some point and have you read any books that apply to any of these trails or just like good books that you would recommend just in general yeah they could be in general um yeah i mean i've like read the stereotypical ones like you know wild a walk in the woods um mayor the mayor his book uh lost on the appalachian trail yeah yeah he's a good dude i hiked with like 100 miles within this year and he wrote that book on his through hike um and yeah it was uh it's pretty good man he's a good author I, i there's like a lot of people i know that read like all of these crazy hiking books and I've read some, but I, um, I've never made like a huge effort. I like to read blogs though. I like a lot of people's blogs. Like my favorite blog is probably Swami's, uh, which is the hiking life. And he's a good author and he's really detailed and I love the way he writes for sure. All right. That wraps it up. Thank you for listening. If you don't already, definitely go check out Puma on social media. His Instagram handle is at Nathan Bauman. And check out those awesome photos that we referenced during this episode. And also keep up with Puma's blogs and gear reviews by going to his website, NathanABauman.com. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, happy trails.